All right. Hi, everybody. Thanks again for tuning in. Uh, we have another super special guest today, uh, Alyssa, uh, one of Paul's guests. So I'll let Paul introduce, uh, or Alyssa, introduce yourself, whichever way you want to go. Um, but thanks for joining us. Hey, Alyssa. Hey, Fab. Uh, thanks for being here. Alyssa Milo. Do I say it right or do I say it too much with a French accent, Alyssa? Yes, good with a French accent. It's like totally French. It's like Merlot. <laughs> It's better than my lot, right? You've probably gotten my lot from a few people in the States. It's been so bastardized. It's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I'm very excited to have you here. So Alyssa and I have, I knew Alyssa from a past life a little bit, and then we were friends on LinkedIn and we, we connected on a few issues and I said, I want to have her on the, the show because she does something really cool that I sort of understand, but I'm not sure. So I want us to tell us about it. So she's a fractional CMO. And so, Alyssa, maybe first question we have for you is, tell us a little bit about you and what is a fractional CMO? So, yeah. in the order that you wish. For yeah, her. for sure. I am a fractional CMO, correct. Um, fractional C-suite roles have sort of become a thing recently. Um, it's somewhat new. There are fractional COOs now, fractional CFOs now, um, and fractional CMOs now. I think it started a little like all things do, more so in the US where it built momentum to the degree that there are actual like full companies of CMOs where you can like tap into that organization and pick the CMO of your choice. Um, and a lot of them are working contract, but it's kind of like a hive of CMOs. Um, so predominantly what I do as a fractional CMO is I work with service-based or B2B businesses, usually in the mid-market range. So anywhere from definitely at least 2 million plus, maybe five to 10 plus employees. And business owners at that stage find themselves at a stage where they're maybe pretty overwhelmed by having to do the marketing business development initiatives on their own. Maybe they have a sales team. They probably have an ops team, depending on what their product or service is, but they still find themselves doing a lot of that marketing work on their own, or they have mm -hmm. agency partners. So they're what I call the head of the octopus managing all these arms and it's just wrecking them. Um, and it's really expensive to find a really high, high qualified C-suite partner. Um, and I shouldn't say partner because you probably don't want a partner as a business owner, but you want an employee. And so you have to pay them a lot to make them want to join you full time. Mm -hmm. And often that's a barrier for a lot of businesses. Yeah. So a fractional CMO comes in part time. I can dedicate my time to six businesses at once um, and they get my brain and they get my time, but they don't have to pay or take the risk of a full-time hire. Mm -hmm. That's that's really cool. So Fab, uh, I, I'm gonna let you ask the first question. Oh my, I'm not used to this. I wasn't prepared. Um, cool. So I mean, so what? Let's just jump right into the questions I was interested in. Is like, what are you seeing in the marketing space? Like, what you work with smaller, like mid-sized businesses? Like, what what are their challenges? uh that you see and i know it's kind of a broad question but what challenges are you seeing out there yeah well it's funny i often come into a space where there haven't been there hasn't been much of a marketing presence again it's the business owner or maybe some junior people kind of running the marketing show and they've put a lot of their eggs in the baskets of executional partners so creative mm. partners and that works when you're little but when you start to grow and trying to really up level, 
it's kind of like building a house or a, or a structure or a skyscraper without a cement foundation, right? Mm -hmm. They've, they've built and built and built. They've executed, executed tactic after tactic. And they're being like, this isn't landing. Why aren't we growing? We're doing all the right things. And I find that it's because they haven't built a foundation that's solid enough to have briefed their creative partners effectively to put out good content that's driving growth, that's bringing in inbound leads, outbound leads, that's really serving the marketing machine. Because the marketing machine at its core is built on like mud and straw. <laughs> if that makes sense. So yeah. I come in usually and blow it up and then build from that foundation up. And often when we build a marketing plan, which is the last thing we do, it ends up being a lot of the same tactics that they've already tried to execute, but coming from a way better place with way better content and a way clearer foundation and brand product positioning. Interesting. And so I want to go back a little bit because where did, you know, you said, okay, so the idea started in the States of fractional being, having fractional CMOs, but you know, when you said they can choose, so are, are you part of a group of CMOs and then people interview the potential CMOs? Like how do people choose you or do you reach out to them? Like how do you do that portion and how does that happen? Yeah, for sure. I think it would be cool to eventually have a Canadian kind of, conglomerate of fractional CMOs, <laughs> but currently there is not. Certainly we are like lone wolves, um, like roving, roving the world um, <laughs> as of right now. Um, but I do know that there are organizations like that in the US, not too many of them, but a few. Um, and so they really need to follow and learn from for me as like a fractional CMO kind of operating solo right now. But most of my clients and the business I work with come from referrals and those who are just tapped in and connected to me on LinkedIn. We share posts just like, you know, how Paul, you and I connected um, by just like sharing insights and sharing stories and, and sort of business owners tend to see, oh, I think I understand what a fractional CMO does. And I think I need that. And slowly Canadian businesses, especially mid-market businesses are starting to realize, oh, that's like a really helpful person to be on my team. Um, that's cool. And are you seeing? Oh, all right. Um, so, how did you get there? So, tell us a little bit about who you were before you became that fractional CMO, and what what is it that you feel? What is it that you had as knowledge or tools that made you feel comfortable in becoming a, a fractional CMO? Yeah. Thank you. That's such a good question. Um, so, I started. I like sure. to say that I bring a combination of. Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 brand experience, which I have in part one of my career. And I mesh that with part two of my career where I literally jump ship from Walmart being the head of the health and beauty category as the marketing lead there to a small business startup. <laughs> so like a small business production, like it was a production company, but a branded content production company at a time when YouTube was all the rage and like going viral with a viral video was all the rage. And so I jumped ship completely, like full out, like fell down the rabbit hole to the other side of the, of the world with them. And so I worked to help the three partners really as kind of a principal of that organization grow that business for about eight years um, oh, wow. to about a $3 million shop with about 20 employees. Okay. So I kind of make a combo of that experience where I understand the reality of a small business owner, a successful small business owner too, because I've seen a company work successfully and been a part of that. And also from a branding foundations perspective, 
I've done those workshops that Unilever paid for, that Walmart paid for, that Nike paid for, for all like the core 101 marketing insights that like big brands have. So I try to mesh those two experiences together in the services I offer my clients. Okay, that's that's interesting. So it's really a mix of, like you said, large companies and then that that smaller business. So I guess that that permitted you to say, okay, well, I know I can bring all this to the table. And then what made you decide to say, well, I don't want to work with just one company. I want to work with a lot of companies. Yeah, I I like to run my own show. And I liked working with clients a lot in my experience at the production company. I really did enjoy building those relationships with clients. So I knew how to operate with clients. I knew how to build relationships with clients and maintain accounts, so to say. Um, and I just want to keep doing that. Like I wanted to become part of a team, but be able to be part of multiple teams and not be owned by anyone. And so that's where I love, like I always aspired to be an entrepreneur. It's been in my blood forever. And I think I just needed to get enough of a career experience to feel confident in being able to go out and, and have some real value to offer clients in the future. I totally relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's what I was going to say. Similar, yeah. similar background here too. Very yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And Fab too. Right. And I think for, for, I don't know about you Fab, but for, for me, it was all about build that confidence to know you can go out on your own, right? Get, mm -hmm. get that sort of all that experience under your belt before you can get out there. Okay. Fab, you're going to ask a question. I'm going to, um, I was going to go back to more what you're seeing kind of on the market and, and this may be contentious. I don't know. <laughs> Answer it how you want, but are you, you right. are you noticing that, you know, obviously they're coming through, you know, they're looking for a fractional CMO, so they understand marketing to at some point, but you're finding like a lot of business leaders struggle with, with marketing and what marketing can do with the, for the company. Yeah, I think, I think automatically business owners, people in general, when they think of marketing, think of big budgets and they think of tactical execution. Mm. And I think the heart of marketing, and I do feel like this is truly what I learned from my big brand experience, the heart of the brand comes from a different place. The tactical execution is like the last thing that happens really when you're launching a product or launching a service. What matters is how you're positioning that out in the world, how you're making it seem different and better um, and how you're making it really easy for people to digest and clearly understand. And until you've got the heart of your brand understood very clearly and really clear messaging on how to spread that around, you're just using tactics as vessels to spread that message then. So it's really, I think a lot of business owners struggle with understanding and figuring the core of their business out, like what mm -hmm. their true value is, who their real target is. A lot of people say, everybody's my target. I don't yeah. want to ostracize the little guys to go after the big guys. And I'm like, well, who makes you the most money? Yeah, talk to them. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's like some of that logic when you're when you're you can't see the forest for the trees. I think business owners get really stuck on tactical execution and really forget what matters in terms of what the hell are you saying in those tactics is what really matters. So, Melissa, so what you're really saying is you have to understand what you do for the person who will be buying or using your service first before you go out and do anything. But how many times I've seen, I'm, not, I'm by all means not a marketing expert whatsoever, but how many times have I seen small companies just go out there and they, they just advertise whatever they're doing or 
or just push whatever they're doing and they figure, well, it'll happen if it happens. So you're saying that even a small entrepreneur that has a limited budget should still take Oh, okay. Looks like we're back. The platform is failing us again. No. Yes, Paul. A hundred percent. I got. I got the gist of that. And yes, it's amazing how many um, business owners I connect with and say, "What's who describe your your ideal target? Like in like three words. Who is that person? They can't do that. Second, I say, "What's their primary goal? Problem? Fear? Don't know those." Um, and then I say, what's the main way that you improve and change their reality in two sentences? And they don't know that either. <laughs> so if you even have those four questions in your lexicon of quick understanding and ability to like dump out at someone very concisely and very quickly, like you're ahead of the game. And a lot of, a lot of businesses don't have that understanding to start. And if you don't have that, how is your rev op supposed to work? How are your sales guys supposed to connect with your marketing guys? How is everyone along the chain of your CRM system supposed to communicate with prospects and leads mm -hmm. and customers? It seems if so everyone's simple. singing a different tune. It right. seems so simple, but it's really logical, isn't it? I mean, when you really sit down and think about it, like, and I'm sure everyone you say this to probably says, yeah, those are great, brilliant questions. Now we have to figure them out, right? Yeah. Um, we have to figure out the answers, but really, like I hear you say this, I say, of course, like it makes sense, but it's true that, you know, you just said it before, you, you, a lot of people can't see the forest for the trees, right? So, so, yeah. so, so can you repeat those again, just so the, the listeners hear it clearly? Uh, so goals. Yeah. So what so are your goals? Know your, know your ideal target and your ideal target is who will make you the most profit. Truly, it is. It's what accounts do you need? If you got five of them, and you would you be laughing? So talk to those people. Make a service offering or package that it appeals to those people. And how do you do that? You have to know who those people are. And you have to know their primary goals, problems, fears. And then lastly, the impact that you're going to make to improve their reality. So the impact is kind of a combination of your impact is how you help them achieve their goal solve their problems and mitigate their fears. And that's the impact you make on your on your customers. And I usually work in a service space again or B2B space. So you're yeah. working with other businesses. So what mm -hmm. problem are you solving for your your client that is also a business? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Because we we mostly, I mean, most of what we talk about is B2B. I mean, very rarely and infrequently we'll, you know, we'll talk a little bit about B2C, but it's really uh, a b2b space that, that, that we're looking at so that's, that's fascinating oh, go ahead fab yeah I, I wanted to kind of tag on a bit on what you were saying before which because you mentioned a lot of profit like which which you know with which custom type of customer drives the most revenue and profit and stuff like that so how would you say like how should one measure marketing and the impact that marketing has you know like a in my past life, there was a lot of debate. Is it like revenue? Is it like, well, as long as, long as the brand's known and stuff like that, how do you, mm -hmm. how do you uh, suggest we measure the impact of marketing? Yeah, I think it goes, it begins at making, with making a strategic marketing plan. And when I work with clients, I build their plans in a very methodical way. The first is we outline your top growth goals. They're anywhere from two to four. I wouldn't want more than that. I, you wouldn't want just one. And then you define those growth goals 
And then you think, okay, what can we do as a marketing initiative or tactic or communication or business development tactic, however you want to frame it, to achieve that goal? And then what are those smaller initiatives underneath it? And that's how we build. Oh, did we lose? <laughs> I think we lost Paul. <laughs> we lost Paul. Hopefully it comes no. back. Um, and that's how you build a strategic plan. So you know then that every marketing initiative you're doing is mm -hmm. laddering up, at least in theory, in your best efforts, mm -hmm. to a strategic growth goal. And right. then you can measure that in various ways. Be like, how are you measuring that goal? Is it revenue? Um, I also like to make strategic KPIs for each of the of each of the initiatives. So okay. let's say the initiative is an e-marketing campaign to connect with old clients who you haven't worked with for a long time and you want to reach out to them. Yep. So maybe it's click through. Maybe it's people who called to book a meeting. Um, I always encourage whenever you do an email campaign, soliciting business from old clients, you also follow up with a phone call because an email is not enough. Um, and what's the impact of that? What are your results from that? So that's like a smaller way to measure that initiative. And then overarchingly, how does that initiative ladder up to helping you achieve that goal? And you can monitor the goals quarterly, biannually, annually. Okay. And so, you know, in my past life, like when I was like heading up marketing teams, uh, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, brand and blah, blah, blah. But at the bottom, at the end of the day, the business owner was like, even though they were agreed, yes, brand and we need to do recognition, they're like, okay, but how much revenue did this drive? Like, do you find that at the end of the day, everything is all nice and stuff like that? But, you know, revenue is still what makes the business run, right? Like, we can yeah. have the best brand in the world, but if there's no revenue coming in, right? Oh, like, so useless, 100%. Like, sales are what matters. Sales are king, especially for smaller businesses, obviously. Um, but I think measuring the value of marketing initiatives, half of it is trial and error too. Like I like the idea of practicing agile marketing stolen from the tech world, the SaaS world, where in the olden days, you know, we would make a marketing plan for the year and we'd have to execute it over a long period of time. Like Paul, you probably know this from like Roger's days and Fab, you probably do too, leading marketing teams. And then after the end of the year, you have to justify the money you spent in some way that it was worth it, right? And it's not <laughs> by sales necessarily. It's we got this many impressions and 4,000 eyeballs, you know, PVR'd through our ads. Mm -hmm. um, it's all kind of nonsense a little bit. So it's, it's hard to measure. But I think what really matters is when you measure things in smaller stints, right? Yeah. And you don't treat a marketing initiative like the be-all, end-all. This is a test. Let's just throw mm. this out there with some calculated risk and understanding behind it with the best effort we have to put this baby out in the world and hope it thrives. And then the best thing you could do is monitor, did it thrive, did it not thrive, and discover why it didn't thrive, and then fix it right. or adjust it or tweak it. So it's not a... It's an organic thing. Like it's always yeah. changing. You're always having to be on top of it. You're always monitoring it and you're not getting a wrist slap because it didn't work. It's just like, okay, great. Let's try it with a different tag this time. Let's try it with a different piece of creative. Um, you know, it's like A-B testing over a bit of a longer term. Okay. Nice. And uh, sorry, I cut out there. My internet was terrible. So uh, how, how does that apply to an SMB? that might be saying, oh, the A-B testing scares me. I want to get it right, right away. You know, what do you say to those people who are like maybe not living in reality? <laughs> yeah. Well, it depends on their initiative. Like, for example, if they're doing digital marketing, it's pretty easy to A-B test. You just like tweak a graphic a little bit and you know your A-B test. 
Um, if it is something bigger, I call A-B testing over like a quarter. So you're saying, okay, how did this initiative go? Didn't go so well. What are we going to do next quarter to tweak it and change it? And that's not immediate A-B testing, but it's still like putting it out there and then learning from your mistakes or learning how to tweak or adjust mm. um, based on putting together some really specific KPIs. And I really think the KPIs are important for initiatives because so many business owners also do stuff without ever putting a success metric towards it. And I think people get scared. They're like, oh, I have to do analytics. Oh, I have to like go in my Google analytics and look at things after. And that's fair. Like I hate analytics. They wreck me. But if you even have a very simple goal, like click throughs, like number of calls, responses, stuff that you feel not scared to monitor, but you do feel like can give you some indication of whether it may have worked or not. That's all you need. Okay. I, have, I do have a question. How much of your own... Um, marketing capabilities do you need to apply to your own business? So, so are, are you are you using what you teach your clients to grow your own business, or because you're a solo player, you find that it's inbound and you're not having to apply it to your own business? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, it's such a good question. It's so funny. <laughs> I um, well, because I'm just me and I'm just like a single sole proprietor, kind of a sole contractor, I do a lot of my work through relationship building. So it's what's that networking call? How are you making an impact on that? So certainly when I'm working with any other businesses that are like myself, I share how I operate. But when I'm working with larger organizations, they like are working a level above where I need to operate, um, which makes it more, you know, a little more, a little more elaborate, I would say. But the one thing, did we lose Paul again? I think we did. <laughs> are you still there, Fab, or are you frozen? back we're back sorry about that i don't know what's going on the platform is failing us today at least <laughs> this is cutting off just as you're answering the question so it's not like yeah, you're you cut off halfway there. That, that that was so frustrating I'm like oh okay. that's so that's funny. funny i was like i think i'm speaking but i don't see the guys anymore they're gone <laughs> yeah yeah and i thought it was my internet so anyway so let's try it again if you don't mind answering that question again hopefully it, it sticks this time and Fab, you're gonna have to call the platform or change your web or, or change your internet wire or something. I know. Wait, now I forget the question. <laughs> so like how much? Are you, how much of what you what oh. how much what you teach or show do you do for your own business? Thank you. Um, so it's an interesting question because obviously I'm working with sometimes larger organizations who need far more elaborate marketing strategy than I do. As, as doing my contractual kind of work as a sole proprietor or a sole business owner. Um, but one thing that is important, and it is very difficult to do this foundational branding work to the degree that I, in my own frustration after a year of business where I knew I needed to kind of revisit my packaging, my brand positioning, my product positioning too, in terms of the services and packages that I offer. And I was blowing up my old website. I was like, damn, I wish I had like another me, like another brain to just like pull me out of my own head because this stuff's hard. It's really hard to do. And I honestly believe it's the reason why 
I have a successful business because I could say to the cows come home, what businesses need to figure out in terms of their core branding and product positioning, but for them to sit down and do it on their own is really difficult. So I even like creeped, <laughs> full out creeped, um, this lovely, amazing, very experienced um, fractional CMO who has years on me, uh, not necessarily in age, but in just time of business. And I fully like creeped him was like, can you be my coach? And he was like, I don't really coach, but I was like, can you just help me? <laughs> I need to pick, I need someone else to pick my brain. I need help with this. I need to suck it out of my brain. I need someone else. I can't do it on my own. And it's the same thing I do with clients every day, which is so crazy. And so that gives a sense of how hard this stuff can be. Hmm. It's interesting because I was just listening to an amazing podcast. It's called Smart People. And I forget the name of the guest, but he was saying that even people who know how to do things need a coach to help them do the same thing. Right. Yeah. Like even a surgeon needs a surgeon, even a therapist needs a therapist. It, yeah. I realized that. And I was like, this is hard stuff. And yeah. I do it with my clients all the time. And I, it's really hard to do it yourself and for yeah. yourself because yeah. you're trapped in your own head. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's, that's good. So I, I want to ask you a question and this, it, it, it's, 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 it's something that is very interesting to Fab and I. So how do you gauge in your business? So Elisa, what you do, uh, the amount of years you've been doing, the amount of years you want to do it. How do you gauge success in what you do? What is your definition of, okay, I'm, I'm, this is going well. And do you ever get there? <laughs> uh, I kind of took an existential perspective on this because I really do take that on life. And to be honest, it's like how happy I am with my day. <laughs> like, yeah. are my days enjoyable? I love it. I'm not kidding. Like, is my lifestyle good? Are my days good? Am I happy? And and that's it. That's truly it. And that's what I like to remind my clients about too when they're bogged down by things. I'm like, are, like, what brings you joy? Like, what what do you like doing? And there will never be enough money. There will never be enough like uh, acumen, whatever it is. Like, I don't know how to even make that benchmark for myself because I'm like, even if I get there, I'm going to want something more. Mm -hmm. So truly, and especially now being an entrepreneur where it can be very scary, very isolating. I just think, do I feel good doing this? Is this the choice that I would make if I could do something else still? Mm -hmm. And if the answer is yes, then I, I have a successful day on my hands. Mm -hmm. Great answer. That's a good yeah, answer. <laughs> I want, I want, I'm, I'm going to steal some of that. I mean, someone's going to ask me that in a year or two, and I'm going to say the same thing. Just <laughs> <Do laughs> so it, they go back it. to this old podcast episode and answer you. <laughs> yes, We're going to get all like esoteric and like <laughs> in our heads. Um, but yeah, no, no, it's really like, do I like my life? Am I happy with my day? Hmm. That's it. So I'm a sales guy, and I want to, you know, I, I come from a sales background, I led sales teams. I want to, you know, and I've had this discussion a thousand times with Fab on our podcast, off the podcast, but I want, I want your take on it. What's your, uh, how do you define the relationship of sales and marketing? And I know Fab's answer and I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to hear yours. So, so what to you is the relationship between sales and marketing? Uh, it's so funny because it's such a, like a, <laughs> it's such a fiery thing. It's like, it's a marriage. I really think of it as being like a marriage really, truly where they're different people in some ways they're different entities they have different objectives and goals and personalities and perspectives they have different agendas but it's coming to a compromise as being two parts of a whole 
and operating as almost like a single organism that's really important for sales and marketing to do. And I think like relationships, they like butt heads and accuse the other one of doing other things and not taking into account their cares or needs or concerns or issues. Um, but I think it's so important for a lot of building within organizations to happen between both groups. And that's also why I really love foundational branding and positioning, especially with small businesses, when they do have like a small sales team or a small marketing team, when those two groups can come together and come to a conclusion of what the business is about, who their target is, what their primary goals are, they're operating as a single unit then from the same heart from the same mm -hmm. core, if that makes sense. And then they can riff off as they need to. But if that core is strong and built together, ideally, then I think they have a lot of synergy and success on their hands. Wow. So you do sound like Fab. No, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's interesting because, you know, having worked in large companies in the past, there was often that butting heads. And you're right that if you agree with the core, it becomes simpler because you at least you you agree with the 50,000 square, uh, 50,000 foot view of how things should be. And then maybe the details will be different, but that relationship has to exist at a certain level. Now, I, you know, in the old days, you used to have the, you know, the VP of sales and marketing. And I want to know your take on that, because to me, I think it's good when my personal opinion is it's good when they're separate. And I think it's good to butt heads too. I think it's good to have that friction because, you know, sparks come out of that and good ideas come out of it. But what's your opinion on that? Do you think it's good when they, they merge and they say, well, the CMO is off the, also the CRO or the, the, you know, the VP of sales is also the VP marketing. What's, what's your, your take on that one? No, cause there's no unicorn. That person doesn't exist. They're <laughs> always going to be weighted marketing or weighted sales. Yeah. And I think you're doing yourself a disservice. You're pissing off one team or the other. If you don't have a captain for both. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Good stuff. Okay, Fab, I've been hogging the questions. Uh, no, I've been thinking a lot about what you were saying. So I was kind of uh, in my head a bit there. But um, no, I mean, you're, you're completely right. I don't know if this question more than confirmation, <laughs> confirming that I found what you said really amazing. It's, it's, and I think it's like, you know, back in the day, we, you know, the system, obviously I'm an ops guy. So like a lot of the systems were, you know, like some, you know, sales was in Salesforce and marketing was doing their thing with like, you know, Marketo or whatever. And, and more and more of those systems becoming are becoming integrated. And it's, it's just, it's, it's just so amazing when you're able to talk to like have all these people around the table, like a mark, like marketing teams and sales teams and, you know, account management, uh, who take the puck after sales and, and get them to build this common thread together. And yeah, there'll always be some issues. Right. But, uh, if they're all building off the same foundation, I think that's, yeah, that's yeah. really great. I so think about Oh yeah. I want to give you a compliment because I find, um, other than Fab, I find when people talk about marketing, it's often kind of blurry and nebulous. And I find you really laser it in and focused on what's important. And like even me, who's a consummate salesperson, says, I get it now. <laughs> you know, you start here and you gotta go there. And 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 I like that because all the things that are kind of moving around someone said, you're very, you're very it's very clear on the path that 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 needs to be, uh, you know, the, the road that needs to be taken and the path that needs to be cleared to, to, to get to the right, uh, the right place. Sorry, I, I interrupted you. So no, thank you. Uh, am I allowed to, I, I won't officially swear, but I like to think of myself as a, as a, as a no BS creative person. So like, 
<laughs> I can riff on things and be creative, but I want to cut to the chase and cut the fat. Don't give me jargon. Don't give me acronyms. Don't give me fluffy BS. <laughs> like, <laughs> tell me what you're offering. Tell me what's in it for me and tell me who it's for. And mm. the more business owners can think about things from that perspective, I think the less stressful marketing communication becomes, right? Because mm. they think they have to jazz it up. They think they have to say crazy things. They think they have to grab attention. And all you're doing by doing that is ostracizing people because no one wants to listen to that. And people, and this sounds terrible too, but it comes from my like big brand days of building like billboards and mass communication is people are lazy and stupid, period. And even if they're smart people, they are lazy and they're stupid, lazy and stupid. Digesting yeah. content to a yeah. huge degree. And so I always remind my clients to think about the laziest, stupidest person, the most distracted mom who you're targeting, the most, you know, busy dude that you can imagine who has no time to digest your content or interest. What can they pull from this quickly mm. and efficiently to say, oh, this is for me. I see value in it. Yeah. 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 It reminds me, I don't know what the book was, but it was about, about a, it was a writer who started out in the advertising space and the biggest lesson he's learned is... You, the biggest lesson he was told was like, nobody wants to read your, your shit. You know, like that was like his boss was like, nobody wants to read this. So assuming that nobody wants to read this, what would you have to, what would you say? And, yeah. and, that and that's where it's so important to like know your target because someone out there does want that because they're yeah. looking to solve the problem that you can help them solve. And so you want those people who are in, pain in whatever reason, like the business is really struggling for whatever reason, the business owner who needs this solution within their organization immediately, they're looking for that. They're searching for it. And so that it's just a matter of saying the right thing. So that person searching can find you in the dark. It's almost like picking the right like color or the right light bulb for them to see. And you can only figure out that secret code or that secret combination if you understand them really well and you understand how you can help them really well. And then those two are like a lock and key. So you're not talking to everybody else. That's the thing. Like, it doesn't matter if no one else listens to you because you're only looking for that one like beacon in the dark really. And they're looking for you too. And so as you make sure you have the right color on their end and you're saying the right things and then you connect. It's interesting just to bring it back to the, you know, the advertising world or, 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 you know, my previous life in media, and as, as a consumer, I used to tell people, I, I hate advertising, so I'm probably the best person to help you do that. <laughs> because, you know, if you can reach me, then you're doing a good job. But it's true that, you know, whatever it is that you're looking at, when, when the marketing or, or, or the copy or whatever it is does reach you, you really do feel a connection to it. And, and, and you know, yes, some products are for everybody. You know, everyone needs to drink water. <laughs> yeah. And Everyone needs my Kleenex, sure. Yeah, you know, so so there's but then there's that that stuff that's a little bit more niche and you really have to cut through, you know, cut through the BS, cut through the bullshit to get where you're going. But also you're right in that the conversations, again, coming from large corporations in the past, I used to remember people would say, Well, dazzle them with, with you know, dazzle them with bullshit, basically. Yeah. Uh, and and you would be, you know, in a million meetings a day, and it was just like, Oh my god, you know, we could have cut this down to 15 minutes and get to the right point. But you know, people in Often the psychology of large businesses is people are more, and I, I heard this uh, recently, people are more interested in keeping their jobs than they are about doing the right thing. So, you know, maybe that's what makes you as a, a personal entrepreneur 
and, and Fab and I are really honest because we're there to really help the person. If we don't achieve, we don't help them achieve something, they're going to cut us out. So it's the same thing in your messaging. So it's it's sort of a it's sort of a philosophy, right? It becomes a philosophy of life. Just move forward in the right direction and cut cut to the crap and get to the point. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of business owners get misled by mass communication out there because they get confused by B2B versus B2C communication. And they're very different beasts. Service-based B2B is you just need to really figure out who your person is, who your ideal client is, and then really what you have to offer them. And it's not about being jazzy. It's not about being elaborate. It's about just a straight, you know, value proposition, really, that you're putting out there. Yeah. And keeping it simple is less stressful anyways. I know I'm coming close to your timeline, but I, you addressed something that I really want to touch. And then then we can, you know, I know you both have to go take care of some children. So, <laughs> um, when you talk about value proposition, like I, I find, and I don't know if you see this too, often people say, well, our value proposition, it's what we do. It's it's, it's what we're good at. It's, it's But really the value proposition, and, and tell me your, 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 your opinion on this, is about, what value you're bringing to the client or to the person who will be using your, your, your service or your product. It's not about what you can get from it. Yeah, I'm, yes. I'm not sure I'm explaining that clearly, but yes, a hundred percent. I should say people are lazy, stupid, and selfish would be the trifecta <laughs> right. of that. Um, entirely in like all they care about is what's in it for me. And if you yeah. spin all of your messaging in making it very clear what's in it for them, then, they listen and they can hear it. Um, the other piece too, I do a lot of work now with clients on product positioning. And I think that gets often lost in the B2B, the service-based space, because it feels like, oh, I just want to connect with you and then I'll put together some elaborate thing that's going to wow you. But you're actually, I think in a lot of ways, doing a disservice by not making very clear what your service offering is in detail. Um, because a lot of people, again, are lazy and also apprehensive to have to go on a sales call with someone. So they want to vet you out as much as possible before they actually have to speak to you. Um, so there's value in making sure that your website, for example, any sales sheet you offer, any networking conversations you have, there's a great deal of transparency in what your actual product offering or service offering is. I call it the three-tiered cake. You know, you show them the three-tiered cake. You give them a slice of the cake and then they turn to you and say, okay, so what's the whole thing cost again? Like, don't, don't keep it a secret. Don't hide it. Like cakes are on display and I want to pick the cake I want. Don't have, I'm not going to pop a bakery and be like, can you make me a mystery cake like this? No, I want to see what it looks like first and like the plastic version, whatever you want on the shelf. And then I'll buy it for a thousand dollars. Um, so I think there's a lot of, um, not enough attention and love given to, product positioning as well that that's so interesting because coming from a sales background i'm often telling people at a certain level and, and this is where I, I won't say contentious but some people um want to hold back and what we say to people and, and that's where it's misconstrued sometimes but if you want to give a full-on pitch before they talk to the people i always say when you're in a b2b situation on a sales side not not something inbound but outbound you need to get to know who the person is before you start showing them anything or talking to them. You need to understand what it is that they're looking for so that you can qualify, you can qualify whether you should continue the conversation. 
So I think what marketing does, particularly inbound, is that it, it, the people hopefully will find you. And, and in an outbound situation where you sort of have to go in blindly a little bit, you have to ask a few questions because they might be somewhat qualified to truly qualify them, then to present them the three-tiered cake, right? Yeah. So it's interesting. And well, it's true, but I think marketing to some degree can do a real service to sales if the business affords it and if it's an yes. option to be as transparent as possible. So you're as a sales team is getting yeah. like warm ass leads coming down the funnel because marketing's put out all the goods, right? Yeah. And someone's already observed like, oh, I see what you offer. Like I actually want that. And they come in to that conversation like ready to buy, not as a surprise, not as a, I want to see what you have. Cause I don't really understand. I don't really know. I'm not really sure. Yeah. Um, you know, if they come in question like that, that's a lot of onus on the sales team to then have to really convert that person. Yeah. Whereas if marketing's doing a good job already being very transparent as to what they're getting, that sales call becomes a whole lot easier. Then you can hire lazy, stupid salespeople. <laughs> exactly. They can hire lazy, stupid salespeople. They just have to read like a template and be like, which package would you want? A, B, and C. They're all great for A, B, and C reasons. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay, so I think you guys are coming close to your I, – I could go to, to – you know, I go for another hour, but I think you guys are going to have like yeah. children – you know, hungry children dying at your door if you're not. <laughs> I'll put chicken fingers on. It'll be fine. <laughs> so thank you so much, Alyssa. This was really, really fun. It was it was great. Um, yeah, it was really uh, educational, too. I learned a lot today. I was actually taking notes. So uh, <laughs> thank, thank you very much. Um, and, and, you know, we'll hopefully have you on again maybe in a few months and you'll have more uh, information for us and, and more uh, wonderful insights. But, yeah, uh, this was so fun. Thank you, guys. I could chat about this stuff all day, too. So next time we'll make it earlier book. we don't have to do child pickups. All right. Awesome. Yeah, and you yeah. need to write a book, Elisa. This is good stuff here. I love the way you present stuff. You need you need to write a book. Thanks. Oh, my God. I, I hate writing things. I'm a total dyslexic. So the idea of writing a book makes me, like, want to die. But I love that, and I appreciate it. I'll, I'll brain dump with voice memos all of my book ideas. And maybe I'll That's perfect. Then you can have some writing. Yeah, exactly. Get yes. a yeah. <laughs> good call. Good call. Awesome. Well, thank, thank you. Thank you, guys. It was such a pleasure. Yeah. Likewise. Thanks for fun. Bye. Bye. <laughs>